with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And a reasonably clear sky out there right now from where I'm sitting. I can't see that much of it, of course. Our windows are not huge here at the station, but uh, Alan Wish out in the host chair. Echo on the production board as usual. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, listeners. And we got a uh, full show. First guest is on the line already, and I am talking with Shelby Richardson, who is the founder and artistic director of Method Dance Society, a new group in town. Good morning, Shelby. Good morning. So, when I first saw the name of the group, the first thing that came to my mind was Method Dance. Now, is this the, I'm going to use a big word here, I hope I use it right, Terpsichorean equivalent of Method Acting? Um, not quite. So it really is about, um, you know, celebrating contemporary dance in our community and just how we apply that method of thinking to our practice. So it's a very um, experimental form and, and just really opening up our dancers into the contemporary sphere. So uh, how did you come up with the idea of creating Method Dance Studio in Prince George? Well, my first, uh, it first came to me, I moved up here and uh, Judy Russell has been a big mentor of mine throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, coming up here, moving with my family and teaching at the studio, I just became aware of how much talent was in this community. And uh, over the years teaching, we lost lots of those talented dancers once they graduated. If they wanted to become dancers, they needed to leave the community in order to pursue that career, mm-hmm. or they had to give it up to, for, to quite some extent in order to go to university here. Um, and then these last few years, I've been working with dancers since they were very young, and I could really see the stress that this caused them in their, in their final years to kind of make this huge decision. Um, and finally, I just thought, you know, hey, we need to do this now. We have to give these uh, talented dancers an opportunity to pursue this career here in their, in their home community. So when did you come up with the idea itself more specifically? Can you pin it down to like a, a month and year? Sure. So um, I would say last fall, like the catalyst moment, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was up at the university and, uh, one of my old students kind of reached out to me and she just said she wanted to sit down and have a, a talk with me at lunch. So mm-hmm. I sat and talked with her and she just kind of poured her soul out to me on why, you know, she didn't know what to do if she needed to leave Prince George or stay at the university and, you know, that just made me say, let's do it now. Mm-hmm. We'll do it now and, and create this opportunity for you guys. So so you got the idea going along quite nicely. You started to get all the pieces in place. And then this thing called COVID showed up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that certainly put a wrench into our plans. <laughs> now, when COVID came along, so say mid-March, where in the planning were you? Like, were you still just sort of in the first stages of planning or were you getting fairly close to opening? Where were you in the planning? We were still in the planning stage. Okay. So uh, luckily it didn't, you know, put an abrupt stop to our, our plans. We just had to like change course 
very quickly. So we hadn't actually had our auditions yet. Mm-hmm. So very quickly we mo- moved on to virtual auditions, and this gave um, us actually a bit of a broader outreach. So we were able to reach out to other communities that, you know, uh, dancers might not be able to come all the way into Prince George to audition, but perhaps we're planning to go to university in the fall. Um, so that opened that up. And then once we had those dancers, we are ready to like transition to a COVID-ready course to open in the fall. So I guess that was just in terms of where you were in the planning, the COVID unfortunately probably gave you more time almost on a daily basis to do the planning. Yeah, it really did. And I mean, we have a really wonderful board working with us, a wonderful working board, and they've been really inspirational and really helpful to help us through this whole planning process. So where are you at now? Like we're getting near the end of August, starting in September, school year starting up and everything. Are you hoping to get the Dance Society operating even just in terms of the dancers being able to work in studio pretty quick yeah for sure so um you know these dancers have had a really tough time over the last few months Mm -hmm. trying to uh prepare for this and they haven't been able to take their regular classes or do their regular practice so They've been very antsy to get going. Um, We are going to start in the fall at a more limited capacity than we normally would. Um, We will have them in the studio uh, about twice a week working on choreographic development. So really like expanding and focusing on how we're going to put together some kind of show for the fall and what that's (laughs) going to look like in a COVID context. But we will be starting out in September. Okay, so now, how many people do you have, excuse me, in the company right now for dancers? It's a very small company, so there's only seven professional dancers in the company, and we have two apprentices. Okay, and so you are not at a dance school then as such, like you're working just with your people on... Yeah, yeah, definitely, it's not a dance school. Okay, so... People have got to have a fair bit of training already, and especially I'm thinking training in um, contemporary dance and know that's what they want to be into before they should really even start to think about Method Dance Society. Yeah, yeah, and that's really um, what we were needing in the industry here in Prince George in terms of professional dance is we didn't have an outlet for that. We didn't have anywhere for those um, those students who were finished their studio training um, to, to move on to the next step. We didn't have that available for them, and so that's, that's really what Method is trying to do is now give them a chance to actually practice and, and, and use their skills in the real world. Now, contemporary dance, it seems to me it's a fairly broad subject. Does it need much in the way of equipment, or is a lot of it just the dancer or dancers on stage? Um, it doesn't need a lot of equipment. I mean, that, that depends on what the choreographer in question is planning mm-hmm. to do, perhaps, with a, with a production. Um, contemporary dance is very much about exploration and, and innovation, so there's a lot of improv, like improvisation, that goes into it. Um, 
the mandate for meth dance society is also as well to work with the other artists in our community so that means lighting designers musicians sound artists visual artists so it, it really it is a very broad term for sure but we're also looking to collaborate with other artists in our communities to kind of make a multidisciplinary type of movement here now you were saying about some of the people you're looking to be collaborating with including like lighting people but you earlier mentioned that there's a fair bit of improv involved in contemporary dance and I was thinking that could make it difficult for the lighting person if all of a sudden the dancer goes in a different direction yeah for sure (laughs) for sure so um what we do in that sense, so for doing uh, some kind of production based on improvising, they, there still is kind of uh, a map that they have mm-hmm. to follow for lighting. So the dancer has that in the back of their brain while they're moving. I need to be in this spot or I need to move to this spot in terms of the lighting design. So they've got that running in the back of their brain at the same time while they're while they're improvising. Okay, so they're more improvising the moves they're making to get from point A to point B. They're not going from point A to suddenly point D. No, it's, it's, so it's called structured improv. Oh. Yeah, so we kind of give them a structure that bones of how they need to move, and, and they follow those cues. So now, with contemporary dance, how many dancers are usually on stage at a time? Oh, it can, it can change. It can have, you can have one dancer on the stage up to hundreds depending on the size of your stage where you're doing it um it's it's totally open it's it's when you think of contemporary dance you really just got to think of you know a open arms basically uh idea of what it is it could be anything so for your first productions here you're probably going to be focusing though on one maybe two dancers at a time on the stage a for physical spacing and b because you were saying you've got a fairly small company. Yeah, we do have a fairly small company, and it is really important that, you know, the safety of our dancers and their health. So definitely social distancing is going to be integrated into that. We're probably actually going to use that as kind of a, uh, a platform to hmm. think about the choreography for the fall production and thinking about how COVID has affected those dancers um, and let them kind of dwell on that idea for a little while so it probably will be a smaller capacity production for sure and that being said i was just thinking contemporary dance does have some advantages and some other forms of dance i'm thinking ballet dancing i don't see any way that one of the male dancers can lift one of the female dancers these days uh probably not (laughs) i mean unless you know They've already been yeah. in their own social bubble for quite a long time. I know you have lots of dancers in the state too who already live together, so they've yeah. already been quarantining together um, this whole time. Um, we don't have as much of that here in Prince George, uh, so it will be a lot of uh, solo movement. There won't be too much contact improv going on these days. No. Now, where are you figuring on putting on the productions? Do you have a couple of locations in mind for where you might be able to do them? We do have some locations. We're still, you know, we're trying to be really careful about everything and really our health and safety is our primary concern right mm-hmm. now. Um, so we really are still structuring that out and working with our team on, 
on how we can do that safely. And again, you'll run into the same situation as a lot of the other performance groups in town. You're allowed to have 50 people, but that includes, in your case, the dancers, that includes the lighting person, that includes the rest of your crew. They're all inside that 50-person group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it really it really will be, in a sense, an intimate performance. Mm-hmm. We're also looking at um, multimedia types of ways of oh. casting that performance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, we have some really great audiovisual people here in town that that really know what they're doing in terms of uh, casting live events. So uh, thinking about that, we just really need to open our minds to new new ways of disseminating this material. And now the other question then is, contemporary dance, where do you find the pieces for the performance? You, you mean on the content? Yeah, like uh, because I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going to be putting on, say, a ballet, there are thousands of ballets out there that I can pick up. Where do you find contemporary dance music for your performances? Okay, so for dance, so for contemporary dance, um, it's and for method, it's it's built from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So that's all part of the process. So one of our big plans is to really work with musicians. Um, and composers within the community to actually make that music for the production. Um, it's a very integrated uh, process. It's a very collaborative process. So it's not just we're, we're creating new content. We're creating new choreography for the dancers. We're also working with those musicians and composers to create new music um, for those productions. And now... Which drives which? Do the dancers and the way they perform drive the music you're looking for, or does the music that people present to you drive what the dancers do? Well, what, where we kind of start is we, we we come together as like a bit of a focus group, and we talk about what our concept is. Mm-hmm. So um, our lighting designer, our, our musicians, sound, and and the choreographers will all sit down together and talk about what the idea is that we want to create, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll move out from there. So we almost create, like, a sample board of ideas. So a sample board of, like, you know, I want something in this arena for the music. I'm looking for this type of mood in, in the lighting design, and... and this is the type of movement we're going to be looking at for the choreography. And we kind of work collaboratively through the process and, and bounce the ideas off of each other. Wow. Yeah, it's re- it's really fun process. Very creative. Mm. So, Shelby, if people want more information about Method Dance Society, whether they would like to get involved or whether they just want to keep up to date on where and when your performances are going to be, where do they find the information? So one of the best places is our website, and our website is www.methoddance.ca, or you can check out our Facebook uh, page as well, and that's Method Dance Society in Prince George. Great. Shelby Richardson, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about your new group, the Method Dance Society. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and stay safe, stay healthy. Yep. Okay. Enjoy some sunshine. Yes. Take a quick break and be back with more after nine.
Spruce City Men's Fastball is on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Tune in Thursday nights at 6.30 for the game of the week. Live from Spruce City Stadium, it's the only action in town with doubleheaders Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday evenings at Carrie Jane Gray Park. And each week we'll get you up to date on league standings and stories. Brought to you in part by Auto Magic, The Bonnet Eatery, and Der Denture Center. Spruce City Men's Fastball, Thursday nights at 6.30, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Exploration Place has launched their Nature Exchange online. The Nature Exchange provides family-friendly activities for the summer, and a weekly Nature Exchange challenge can be found on the new Exploration Place Facebook group, as well as on their website. The Exploration Place remains closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but you can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and see their animal ambassadors on their YouTube channel. More information and links to those pages are available at theexplorationplace.com. As part of the city's budget, Council has approved important service enhancements aimed at increasing community health, well-being and safety, particularly in the downtown. Six areas are being enhanced, police services, bylaw services, contracted security, funding for homeless service hubs, improved parkade lighting, security and cleaning, and additional staff and equipment in public works. More information on the city's service enhancements to improve health and safety for all is available through the news link at princegeorge.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today. Wind from the southwest at 20 this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers, a high of 18 with a high UV index. Partly cloudy tonight with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm early this evening, then clearing, a low of 6. For Thursday, mainly sunny, a high of 19 with a high UV index. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And the uh, the city has got some grants that they hand out, I think, every year, if I'm not mistaken. The MyPG Community Grant for nonprofit groups and other community organizations. And in studio with me now is Sarah Brown, who is the Supervisor of Community Wellbeing and Partnerships D- Department. Division. Division. Yes. I got, I, oh, I got so close. Ah, okay. So... Have you been overseeing the MyBC Community Grants for some time now? Yes, I have, yeah. So about about how many years? I've been at the city for 12 years, and so um, I've been involved with the grants for the entire time that I've been with the city. Wow. So you're getting, you're getting to know what the criteria are and everything is fairly well then. Yes, definitely. Now, now, how much... From when you started to now, have you had to change the criteria very much? Like, have you found years where, for whatever reason, maybe you just weren't getting a lot of applicants and you were looking at the criteria and going, that seems to be what's tripping them up? The criteria has been pretty consistent Mm -hmm. over the last number of years. And the criteria is really focused around the MyPG social development goals. Mm. So what we're looking for from applicants is alignment with those goals. So we're looking for projects that increase community pride, um, socially connect citizens, encourage a safe community, Mm -hmm. um, involvement in arts and culture, and really um, encouraging physical activity, those kinds of things. So really, aligned around uh, the MyPG social development goals. And obviously, if they can hit all of those goals, that's great. 
but they don't have to hit all of them as long as they've got a couple of them. That would be amazing if they could actually yes. hit all of them. But in many cases, we do have a number of applications that come in where they have touched on at least two or three. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose those applications then maybe get a bit better chance of getting a grant because they are touching on a number of the goals rather than just focusing on one. Well, it's certainly considered by the yeah. adjudication committee, but it's not the only factor. Mm -hmm. um, the criteria, alignment with the criteria is important, um, but, uh, you know, the adjudication committee also looks at impact in the community, uh, the nature of the project, the number of people that are going to be involved, mm -hmm. those kinds of things, yeah. So over the years, now, these grants are an annual thing. Can former recipients apply again? So we actually have two intakes um, per calendar year. Mm -hmm. So this is our fall intake, um, open right now, yeah. and the deadline is October 15th. And then we have another intake in the spring. Okay. And so um, we actually transitioned to that a couple of years ago. Um, and it really makes things more manageable. And it also gives an opportunity to um, organizations to um, really kind of think strategically around um, their annual budget and mm -hmm. when they want to apply for funding and and also the time of the year for their project sometimes it makes more sense for them to apply in the spring because their activity or their programs in the summer months and then the same situation in the fall mm -hmm. so um, applicants can apply for both intakes um, they can apply with different project ideas mm -hmm. so the grants are designed in such a way to provide flexibility how often do you get a group that applies, doesn't get a grant in that intake, they come back and they say, okay, now was there a specific reason, you know, was it just there were too many other applicants? And you guys can maybe say, well, we had a little bit of trouble with this part of your proposal. They clean that up, they can come right back the very next intake, and yeah. Certainly, that happens quite a, quite often. Mm -hmm. um, we're happy to provide feedback to um, organizations that apply and maybe didn't quite meet the mark and so have not been approved, and uh, we provide some feedback. And oftentimes, they will apply for either the following uh, intake, mm -hmm. say in the spring, or they will apply like the following fall yeah. because it aligns better with you know their uh, timelines and so on and so forth. But yes, that happens all the time. And do you have some of the groups who come to you, let's say for the fall intake, and you're looking at their application and you're saying to yourself and then maybe to them, well, your, your event here is something that's going to be taking place in the spring and then into the summer. Like, do you guys need this much planning time ahead of time? That's why you're in the fall? Or would you maybe be better off applying in the spring where you get the money and it's there right away? Those conversations do happen, and uh, sometimes we do suggest that they are better aligned for a different intake, but oftentimes, um, you know, they they have a good reason why they are applying yeah. for the fall intake, even though their project is, is later on. It has to do with planning, it has to do, um, you know, with recruiting volunteers and all kinds of things that they might need to be thinking about, and so oftentimes... Um, it's it's accepted for the fall and it's completely fine yeah yeah the one i was thinking of when you were talking about what they might have is a group that's looking to put on a fairly major event let's say next summer 
they apply for it in the fall, and part of the reason is because if they know that they've got the grant, then they can go out and start recruiting the speakers and people who they want for the event, rather than having to do that all at the last minute. That's absolutely the situation, yeah. Yeah. So, how often are you oversubscribed in terms of how many groups you've got and how much money you've got? <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one already, but... That's a very good question. Um, we typically get about 30-ish applicants mm -hmm. each okay. cycle. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times they're repeat um, organizations that are applying, sometimes with the same project, but sometimes with different projects. Yeah. And uh, so those organizations that have applied previously, they kind of understand the range of the grant amounts. And so grants can be anywhere from like about 2,500 to 8,000, but we always encourage organizations, applicants to apply and outline in their budget what their true costs are going to be because the adjudication committee really looks at that now if they ask for something like a hundred thousand dollars it's unlikely but if you know i said the range was about 2500 to eight thousand and they ask for ten thousand in many cases the adjudication looks at that and they see what those costs yeah. are and that could be approved and in many cases it is approved do you have a specific amount of money that you've been given by the city for each of the intakes? There is a certain dedication of mm -hmm. funding towards the grants. Um, the spring, it kind of depends in the fall what's allocated in the spring. <laughs> okay. So that can change if you didn't, for whatever reason, if you didn't hand out as much money in the spring as you allocated you may be able to give out some larger grants in the fall. That's correct, okay. but the range is, is pretty much around yeah. that mark, you know, okay. 2,500 to 8,000, and organizations that have applied previously, they, they know that range. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. When you come back, talk some more with Sarah Brown about the MyPG Community Grants after nine. After much deliberation, the Exploration Place Board of Trustees, along with the Center's management team, have decided to delay the facility's reopening to next spring. The closure will allow the museum the opportunity to undergo a major renovation, which will enhance the Exploration Place's ability to offer a world-class experience. Meanwhile, items from the gift shop are still available for curbside pickup, and everyone is encouraged to follow their online programming through Facebook and at theexplorationplace.com. With increased traffic at city transfer stations and the Foothills Landfill, the Regional District of Fraser Fort George asks that you eliminate all unnecessary trips to the landfill and transfer stations. Wait before returning items which do not need to be disposed of immediately and maximize the use of curbside collection for waste and recyclables where available. When using the landfills and transfer stations, please follow social distancing protocols and stay at least six feet away from others. More information is available on the Regional District's website rdffg.bc.ca Meet a group of Chinese seniors tending their community garden in the PTC podcast Roots and Seeds. Available in English, Mandarin, and Cantonese, Roots and Seeds follows the seniors through a season of planting, tending, and harvesting during last spring and summer. Written and edited by Kathy Fang and Kathleen Flaherty and produced by Playwrights Theatre Centre, Roots and Seeds, a PTC podcast, is available at playwrightstheatre.com. 
the City of Prince George and School District 57 have reopened all civic and school playgrounds in the Prince George area. Both the City and School District encourage parents to ensure their children are adhering to provincial recommendations concerning physical distancing, proper hygiene, and limiting gatherings to fewer than 50. Washroom facilities have also been reopened in city parks with enhanced cleaning protocols in place. As well, fenced dog parks are available for use. For more information, visit the city's website, princegeorge.ca. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So, Sarah, is there any direction sort of given to the group for the MyPG community grants as to how many grants you hand out in each intake? Or does that depend, again, a lot on how much each of the people is looking for? It depends. Like there's a, a range of, of criteria and mm-hmm. things that the adjudication committee is looking at. So each application um, is reviewed based on its own merit. And so um, the adjudication committee really looks at each application to see if there's alignment with the criteria, how uh, well prepared the application was, um, you know, if, if it's... Um, a reasonable request in terms of the funding and also, uh, you know, bang for the buck, looking yeah. for that kind of a of, of approach. And then also just really um, kind of looking at the range of, of projects. So the adjudication wants to kind of get a good mix yeah. of projects and events and activities for the community. So all of those things are kind of looked at when the adjudication committee sits down. So the way the process works, the adjudication committee reviews all the applications independently mm-hmm. and they have a a set of criteria that they use and then they come together and there's lots of dialogue and mm. review and back and, and the occasional forth. fist fight <laughs> <laughs> no no no, no fist fights okay, not yet fine. <laughs> um and so then um from that process you know there's recommendations made around the funding now i was just thinking because you were saying you're you're just into the application process for the fall intake and i'm thinking back six months and that means COVID started while you guys were right in the middle of the spring uptake, intake, I think. Yeah that's, close, yeah, that's correct. So yeah. Uh, the timing was unfortunate yes. and it did delay things. Um, the adjudication committee had reviewed um, all of the applications mm. for the spring. Um, but due to COVID-19, we had to pause and just really kind of think about how to proceed. Um, and it was decided, um, and we worked very closely with the groups um, and, and had feedback from them about their activities and projects and events, what could be managed in the COVID-19 context. And some um, applications um, were able to move forward, and we requested that they prepare a COVID-19 safety plan, mm-hmm. which many of the organizations were able to do, and that was excellent. And then there were some organizations, just because of the, the nature of COVID-19 and trying to meet those um, public health requirements, mm-hmm. they made the decision that probably wasn't likely that the event would take place or the activity would take place, and so withdrew mm-hmm. and decided, that they would probably apply again in the fall. So, for instance, a, a group that had decided we want to hold a group hug-in. No, that's probably not one that's going to go ahead right now. That's <laughs> right. And yeah. and so, you know, we worked with, a, in mm-hmm. that particular case, you know, we would work with that group and we asked them, well, are, are you able to modify? Mm-hmm. Are you able to make any adjustments? And if they, if they could, 
then we supported them with those adjustments to their original project idea. And if not, you know, with some dialogue back and forth, decision was made that maybe this wasn't the most appropriate time. So we hope to see those groups apply again. Yeah. So now for groups that had not applied in the spring and are looking to apply now, should they make sure that in their application they indicate right off the bat how they are dealing with COVID regulations as they stand now? So that's a really good question. Um, we we are um, aware of the current COVID-19 operating mm-hmm. environment. Of course, everybody is. Mm-hmm. And so the adjudication committee will be looking at the degree to which um, applicants are responding to emerging needs or if they're adapting their service delivery or their existing program to ensure that they are um, in compliance with those public health orders. But the second stage is if the applicant is conditionally approved, then they will be required to submit a COVID-19 safety plan. And then city staff will work one-on-one with the organization to support them with that process. Mm-hmm. And the applicant then has to realize as well that when they get the approval from you guys, the conditional approval, the line for where COVID-19 safety regulations is may have moved from where it is today. Hopefully it's been moved further back. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely the situation. I mean, with COVID-19, it's a, it's a bit of a... Um, influx situation and and so I think everybody is aware of that and just monitoring and and if adjustments need to be made to ensure compliance then absolutely I think everybody um, is is in agreement with that Mm. so now is there how much work is it to put in an application for a MyPG community grant for a group that hasn't done it before that's just starting up Well, we like to think that it's not a lot of work because we want to encourage as many organizations as possible to apply um, and new organizations as well. And so over the years, um, we actually require or request feedback from the adjudication committee and from applicants and ask them, like, what did you think of this form? Um, Is there any questions that really didn't make sense? Um, Are there questions that we're not asking that we should be asking? And so we've tweaked the form over the years in a lot of different ways. Um, And so we feel like it's actually a pretty user-friendly application process. And to that point, um, we've actually transitioned it to online. And so we feel now that it's in a really good place because you can, you fill it out. Um, In some text boxes, there's actually a limit, so they're not having to go on and on Mm -hmm. for a long time. And then um, they just hit next, next, next. And then I think the application is about four pages. And so it's not not too hard at all, in our opinion. Yeah. So a good bet, again, for a brand new group might be go online, look at the application, find out what information is required, go off the page again, make sure you've got all that information so that when you go back in again, you're not spending three hours running all over the place trying to find one piece of information that you didn't realize you were going to need. Yeah, it pays to be a little strategic. (laughs) And um, there's actually a feature in the grant application where you can save for later. Oh, Um, So they can put in and work on it for a little bit and then save it and then gather their information and then come back to it. So when they put in the application, does somebody from the group, from your group, look at it 
fairly soon after that to make sure that everything is in place that needs to be? Yes. So um, staff do monitor the applications as they're coming in. Mm -hmm. And if we need to reach out to the organization and say, hey, um, you know, you're kind of missing this or you've overlooked that. Then then they can can just make the changes. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Where is, important question now, where is the website that people go to to get the information about the MyPG Community Grants, because there's probably more on there than we've had the chance to talk about, but also, where is the application form? So the application is on the City of Prince George website. Mm-hmm. So that's www.princegeorge.ca. Yeah. And then from there, they can either search MyPG Grant and they'll have no trouble being navigating directly to the page. Or they can, across the top um, under City Services, locate grants and financial assistance and then they'll be taken right to the page. Sounds perfect. Sarah Brown with uh, the MyPG Community Grants. So I guess right now, to some extent, though, right now, you are sort of in that nice little not really doing a whole heck of a lot because you're waiting for the grant proposals to come in at this point. <laughs> well, I, I, I may have phrased that badly. You're not just lying around on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> well, um so what typically happens is, you know, once we get some promotion and we mm-hmm. get some uh, word out there that the uh, form is available, um, then the applications start coming in. Right now, it's a bit slow. Mm-hmm. The deadline is October 15th. So usually time. starting like mid-September, mm-hmm. um, people get on it and we start getting the applications. And then that last week, they just start coming in fast and this furious. This is Prince George. Yeah. yeah. But we use the time um, in advance to get everything ready, work with the adjudication committee if we need to do any tweaking to our um, evaluation for the adjudication committee. We do all of that in advance and we do promotion. We reach out to past applicants and recipients and say, hey, listen, the application is available if you're interested. And we work one-on-one with groups and um, support them. And we've already started getting some calls from organizations saying, hey, is the form up yet? So... (laughs) Sarah Brown, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us about the MyPG Community Grants. Well, thank you, Alan. It's been my pleasure. No problem. Take another quick break and be back with more after 9. The Canadian Centre for Occupational Health and Safety has some tips for people operating place of worship during the current pandemic. Among the suggestions, post signs reminding people about physical distancing, hand hygiene and respiratory etiquette, mark or block off alternating parking spaces, do not hold services which include food or beverages, and try posters or projecting information on a screen instead of using handouts. For more tips on pandemic-related health and safety, visit ccohs.ca. Due to the COVID-19 outbreak, Spirit Day has been rescheduled to September 17th. Spirit Day is an 11-hour radiothon held at UHNBC and Patterson Broadcast Studios in support of the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation. Every donation makes a huge impact on improving patient outcomes in northern B.C. Donors looking to help out with the current crisis can contribute to the COVID-19 Safe at Home Fund. Full details of Spirit Day and the COVID-19 Safe at Home Fund are available at spiritofthenorth.ca. The City of Prince George has contracted with a local organization to provide free graffiti removal and covering services in the downtown 
area. Staff with the Pounds Project Society are visiting businesses downtown to offer their services. Pounds has also been contracted to monitor the washrooms in Canada Games Plaza. Business operators wishing to take advantage of the graffiti removal project can call the City Services Centre at 311 or email 311 at princegeorge.ca. For more information on the graffiti removal program, visit princegeorge.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today. Wind from the southwest at 20 this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers. A high of 18 with a high UV index. Partly cloudy tonight with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm early this evening. Then clearing a low of 6. For Thursday, mainly sunny. A high of 19 with a high UV index. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we've got some time to make up at this point. Um, one person I was hoping to get in touch with, haven't been able to, is Betty Kovacic, local artist. Kovacic. Kovacic, yes. okay. Lovely lady. She's yep. so amazingly talented. Yes. I think I interviewed her once before, but I was with the paper at the time. So, and this is something I've noticed, when you're with the paper... Mm -hmm. I'm more concerned with how she spells her name than how she pronounces it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a mystery that one. Yeah. You can get a few pronunciations out of it, but it is Kovacic. Yeah. Yes. The first name, at least, is pretty simple. Betty. Yes. Uh, she is the artist in resident at um, Amanika Art Center. Mm-hmm. And she is, she is, I guess she's got her works up, and they're doing a reception tomorrow evening between 7 and 8. Excellent. Virtual, of course. Ah. Mm -hmm. uh. It's on Facebook or Zoom. Um, I think the best way, if you want to get the information about exactly how to connect to her Facebook page is Betty Kovacic. Kovacic, yes. Art. Um, so that's probably the best thing to link up through. The Zoom meeting, of course, they've got like addresses that are oh, 57 characters long so disturbing just punching them in actually yeah i suspect <laughs> i i'm kind of hoping and i suspect she probably does have that though on her website for people who might want yes. to do it by oh, zoom instead absolutely either that or it would be on Omnicas, i'm sure with yes both of them um so again that's tomorrow between seven and eight in the evening for the virtual reception for Betty Kovacic, the artist in residence, or an artist in residence, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. um, and then September the 3rd, which I believe would then be the following Thursday. Uh, You've got a calendar handy there? Yes, it is the okay. following Thursday. You nailed it, Alan. Wow. Every once in a while. Your brain, I tell you. <laughs> Starts functioning as soon as I wake up in the morning and stops <laughs> when I sit behind the microphone. Uh, on September the 3rd, starting at 7, again on Facebook or Zoom, she is holding a virtual workshop. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it, again, yeah, she has, she has been making a lot of art in the city for a fair number of years. Long number of years. I yes. actually, she did a show downstairs and upstairs here at one yeah. point when yeah. my son was a baby and he's 28 now. And <laughs> I did the soundtrack for that. It was well, very, very yeah. interesting. I appreciated the opportunity and her art is just oh, amazing. Yes. And she does, she's not one of the people who sort of 
bound to a distinct type of art, as I recall. No, like I've no, seen a couple of her shows diverse. over the years, especially as I said, when I was working at the paper, a lot of times I was the one covering the art openings. And I would be going to it, and like you know, say it was down at um, Tuber's Gallery, mm-hmm. or uh, here at Studio yeah, Twenty. Well, no, but I well. would glance because at Studio Twenty Eight Eighty, of course, a lot of times there's only one artist who's on display. Oh yes, yep. Tuber's Gallery. You've got the two main, and then you've got the rest ad, and then every once in a while they'll have another one somewhere else. And I would glance into the one area and be going, "No, that doesn't look like Betty's stuff." And I'd look around a little bit, and and then I'd ask somebody, and they would very politely implied, you are a moron. You walked right by it, sir. (laughs) I said implied. You walked right by it, sir. I saw you look in, and then you kept walking. Oh. Yes, it's it's in depth. You must look at it. She hides things in her paintings masterfully. It's just amazing. Uh, But do not, I repeat, do not look for Waldo. (laughs) <laughs> she does not do the Where's Waldo stuff. No, no. not even close. And um, her piece actually is called Connections, is the name of her uh, show that's going to be on. And she has studio hours over there as well, but they're by appointment only. Mondays between 1230 and 430. And actually just looking at this, the only one that's left is next Monday. Hmm. She had them throughout August, but we just got the poster a couple of days ago, probably because the reception was coming up. But uh, no, so August the 31st, uh, and again, I'm assuming you could probably get in touch with her through her Facebook page, Betty Kovacic Art. Yes. I'm going to put the art part on as well. And the reason I said she's one of their artists in residence is because we also got a uh, poster for um, Ragu Lokanathan. Oh, nice. And now, a fair, a lot of people in Prince George, of course, know him. But I think most people know him more as a musician. Yeah. Well, he is an artist. And he's also a playwright. I, I, I saw that. And I just, I remembered. Yeah, that's right. I remember, I, I think I went to a read. Just It was just a straight reading of one of his plays. I don't think they were even figuring on putting it on at that point or anything. Hmm. But he was doing a reading of a play. Excellent. He has a reception at Amanika Art Center, which, by the way, is 369 Victoria Street. Yes. Um, his reception is scheduled for September the 21st between 7 and 9. And his Facebook page is Raghu, R-A-G-H-U, Lokanathan, second word, L-O-K-A-N-A-T-H-A-N. And he's got studio hours in September and into early October, Wednesdays between five and p- 1 and 5 p.m., and he's got them listed as open studio hours, so I'm guessing it's not by appointment. I'm, I'm, it may be that if his work pretty, may be spread out a little bit more, so he figures I'll be able to maintain social distancing. Yes, even if it's got a, a couple space people that in. will facilitate yes. distancing, for sure. Yeah. Okay, um, we are going to go to a quick break, and uh, we'll be back with more after 9. 
Canada Post reminds you to keep your dog secure. Please do not open the door during deliveries or allow your dog to approach Canada Post employees while they are out in the community. This makes it difficult to adhere to physical distancing and increases the risk of dog bites. Already this year, Canada Post personnel have experienced more than two dozen incidents with dogs in Prince George. Check out and share the video on the Canada Post Facebook page to help spread this important message. COVID-19 has made it challenging for many community organizations that provide vital services to address the needs of individuals who are vulnerable to the impacts of COVID-19. The Canadian Red Cross wants to help. The Red Cross is providing grants that will allow you to continue your important work in the community. Find out if your organization is eligible at redcross.ca. The BC Schizophrenia Society is holding their annual general meeting online this year on Saturday, September 26th. The EGM will be followed by a presentation by Dr. Diane McIntosh on the topic of COVID-19 and schizophrenia. To register or for more information, visit bcss.org. The BC Schizophrenia Society's AGM and Education Series presentation, COVID-19 and Schizophrenia, with guest speaker Dr. Diane McIntosh, Saturday, September 26th, from 1 to 3, online through bcss.org. The Red Chamber Cultural Society is presenting a series of online sessions for female music artists. The 2020 Emergence Mentorship Program is led by women performers covering the skills and knowledge needed for a successful career. The next presentation in the series of free interactive workshops is Finding My Audience A Stage Awaits at 10 a.m. Saturday. To register or for more information, visit emergencebc.org. The 2020 Emergence Mentorship Workshops through November 28th at emergencebc.org. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And Alan and Echo back to wrap up today's show. Hello, hello. And, um... A couple of more things that I found. A couple of these are things we've covered recently. Uh, one thing, just to remind people, we had um, Money Hamagami from Theatre Northwest on the show yesterday. They, of course, have had to present a much shortened season. Much, yes. And the show that actually is going to be opening their season in mm-hmm. April is called Mom's the Word. And it is six young mothers talking about the, as Marnie put it, the hilarity of young motherhood. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was on their schedule for this season to start with, but it would have been the final show of the season. Oh. So they just left it in place, and it's now the opening of a two-show set. And the second show, they managed to get a musical, oh. as they've done for the last three or four years. Nice. What is it? The Marvelous Wonderettes. Oh. Uh, it's basically from the 50s and 60s. And as I recall talking to Marnie yesterday, it's about some women who were like song leaders, like almost like cheerleaders, but they led the group, the school groups in song. Oh, yeah. And they're back for a 10-year reunion, and they've been asked if they can perform, perform again. Mm-hmm. So a lot of songs from the 50s and 60s, which means I hope you recognize a fair number of them as being on our station. (laughs) Um, So that's at Theatre Northwest again. Not for a while yet. And the big thing there, and Marnie made no bones about it, they have to open up the seating capacity a lot more. Because she said, and again, who was it we were talking with? Shelby. 
when we were talking about Method Dance Society yep. doing shows on stage, right now you're allowed 50 people. That's 50 people in the building. Mm-hmm. So your person out front handling ticket sales, your lighting director, the people on stage, they all count as part of the 50. The audience then gets cut back by that much. Yeah. And it's the same with um, theater. And as Marnie said, they just it just wouldn't work, yeah. they figured. So they're hoping that by April, when Mom's the Word is scheduled to start, that things will have loosened up to the point that they can actually get enough audience in to make it worthwhile to put the shows on. Yeah, which would be, be nice. Nice to be able to widen out their um, yeah, where well, the spectators or yeah. Well, as long as as long as people in this region even keep showing the intelligence we have so far, truly. We should be okay. And I I sometimes wonder, because you hear about so many of these things where the provincial group says, okay, no, we're shutting things down. And I'm sure there's some of their groups up here who are going, well, I mean, why are we being shut down? We don't there's have a, a bad situation. There's a lot of inconsistencies across yeah. the board. Well, of, I think probably just because uh, nobody's ever had to handle something like this before. No. Everybody's sort of fumbling in the dark a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so they are, the groups, the provincial, national groups even, are probably thinking better to just shut everybody down and then you don't, and the other thing is though, as well, you don't then have like, if say Prince George in this area, let's say we were allowed to uh, host Tiddlywinks championships. Mm -hmm. Well, we would have Tiddlywinks players coming from other parts of the province. Well, that sort of defeats the whole purpose of us keeping things clear up here so yeah there's so many factors i've been trying to rationalize this in my brain all the way through and it's just like Uh, and everything changes every day yes yeah but um yeah so mom's the word is the first one and then the marvelous wonderettes and i believe ticket packages are available already at the theater northwest website so you can call and get them ordered and everything well, I guess that's good just so that they can gauge their support yes. and who's in and who's out. And, yeah. You know, maybe we could start and do some live theater in the park or something like that where people can distance or, yeah. you know. The problem I there is that you've got a lot less. Season. The other thing is you've got a lot less control in the park about how many people show up and everything as well. And the distance. Yeah. Yeah. I think as long. Well, I guess yeah. we'll just have to and struggle through. Yeah. One Good thing I've heard. We this is, we're almost through the second week now, I guess, of the kin centers reopening mm-hmm. for public use, and I have not heard of any problems. I'm sure there has been the occasional complaint from a parent can't figure out why they're not allowed to sit up in the stands and watch their kid play on the ice. Well, that's the rules. It's that simple. Applies to everybody. They put a lot of thought into their setup. They, it's actually a very efficient setup, given how many people want to use the facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with Troy Lukes, I think was his name, who's the manager of Community Arenas. Yes. And I talked to him last Wednesday, I think last it was. Last Wednesday, Last yeah, Wednesday, yeah. And he said, what, the first user group was in at, 7.30 a.m. on the Monday morning. Mm-hmm. That's that's how much people want to get on the ice. Yeah, yeah. And as I say, so far, all the systems seem to be working. I'm sure 
behind the scenes to some extent. They've already probably done a little bit of juggling on things like, okay, that row of chairs is sort of in a bad position. We'll move it over a little bit so we don't lose any seating for the group, but it gets them out of the way of some other thing. Yeah. And uh, I've been watching the... <clears throat> of course, I watch the construction here a fair bit. <laughs> and the one thing I've been thinking, the one thing that has probably not had to change really at all in terms of the actual work is, of course, there's some ball diamonds just across 14th Avenue from us. Yeah. And sometimes you'll see the guys out in their lawn mowing machines going around and you know, mowing, the lawn, mowing the outfield at the ballpark. And I was thinking, that's something that probably didn't have to change at all, except in terms of you know, cleaning at the beginning, cleaning at the end. But otherwise, you're in there, you're by yourself. There's nobody else within six feet of you. You're the only person in that piece of equipment probably for the day. Yep, got to love so, that job and security. So you're, think, well, you're thinking nothing has changed, really. Other than I, some I, people can't use the space. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of the job itself, if you can ignore everything that happens outside of work hours, your work hours are pretty much the same as what they used to be. Mm-hmm. Which would be, which is kind of a nice thing, I would think. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, this weekend is not the long weekend. I just yep. wanted to mention other people because I had a couple of people already say, well, is, is, is this the long weekend? No, the long weekend is about as far back as you can get. September the 7th oh, is boy. the Monday. Yeah. You hmm. can't get any further back for Labor Day. So uh, if you had plans for this weekend on the long weekend, I'm sorry, you got to change them. I'm giving you notice, though. This is only Wednesday. But, uh, that'll do it for uh, today's After 9, and we'll be back on the air tomorrow, After 9. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbue of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.